Welcome to the Elmer EMC podcast. We want to support you on your journey with God. So here's this week's teaching. And so today we turn back again to the latter half of Revelation. I love surprises. Some people don't do it to them. It freaks them out. I love surprises. Love surprise, surprise birthdays. Back in uh, last December, last Sunday of the year, Beth had her 65th. And uh, I know she doesn't look anything like that, dear, do you? She doesn't. And I mean that. It's got nothing to do with hair dye or anything. That's her natural color. But boy, did we pull it off. I had people in our house ready to pounce when we got home. She didn't suspect a thing. Because I couldn't tell Gabby and Emma or it would have been over. But what a, what a great day it was. And the uh, nice thing about Beth's birthday is it's the very same day as Emma's, so we, we celebrated both. Um, I would surprise visitors at your door. Wouldn't you love to, see, love to see this guy show up at your door one day and tell you you've won whatever that is, 2500 a week for life or something like that? And I know you'd spend it wisely and 250 of that would be put in that box back there or more. I know that that would be so. That would be a good thing. Um, one time when we were living out in Newfoundland, um, my... We had a knock at the door late at night, and my goodness, it was my um, one-and-a-half-year-old niece at the door. How'd she do that? And then, of course, my sister and brother-in-law came in. We had no idea. Love surprises like that. No surprise, however, could uh, ever have been so unexpected or so overwhelming as the vision that John received of the risen and the reigning Christ. And what a, what a powerful experience that would have been. So, um, are we going to make it? Yes. Well, who's in charge around here then? Well, the eternal and incarnate God is. The one who loves us, freed us, enlists us, and who has begun to exercise his rule and his judgment and his reign, he is. But... Not necessarily from as far away as we might think. We think of heaven as some far off, way beyond the outer edges of the existing universe or something. And, uh, and uh, I, I think that heaven is much closer. Jesus himself is much closer than we often realize. He's not exercising his rule and his care and his, his love for us from a vantage point far off. And uh, hey, surprise. The one who is in charge is also powerfully present. Here's the good news today. He's everywhere we are. He's everywhere we are. And to top it off, he's holding us. Now, when you walked in this morning, were you thinking of that? He, he's everywhere that I am. You know, we're, we're gathered together as God's people, and uh, he's, he's here, but he's also in the homes uh, of those who uh, love him from this congregation. He's, he's there with you too, um, because you're part of his 
uh, new temple, his, his church. You're part of his bride. He's everywhere we are, and he's holding us. And that's good news. That's, that's at least one way of tackling the message of the remaining verses of Revelation 1. So uh, let's get to it. So I, John, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I know I skipped some words there, but I want to uh, emphasize those uh, highlighted words. This, this is where John is or was as a result of faithfulness to his commission to preach the word and to bear testimony to Jesus. He, he's been sidelined. <laughs> you ever uh, felt sidelined or you maybe even now feel sidelined, disqualified, shut down for what you say and for the way you live? Now, while it's certainly true that some people sideline themselves, perhaps uh, you've done everything right. You've, no, not, not perfectly, you've, but, but the main trend of your life is, is one of faithfulness to the Lord, a love of his word, a, a, not only a belief and a love, but an obedience of, of his word. And it's actually sometimes because of that that um, you may feel isolated or abandoned or shunned or shut down by people who do not love the Lord as you do, who do not uh, honor the word as you do, who... Um, just, just don't. You've been shut down for the right things, sidelined for the right things, for the honest to goodness truths that lead to godliness. And it may lead you to question whether in fact, is, is, is this what I signed up for? Did I sign up for this? Actually, Yes. Remember what Jesus said about if anyone follows me, let them take up their cross and, and, and all of that. Um, teaching that Jesus gives, not just teaching, but reality. This is uh, what will happen. Paul would say um, in one of the Timothy letters, I believe, that uh, everyone who is godly in Christ Jesus will experience at least some kind of persecution, uh, pressure trouble, uh, that wonderful um, word that one dare not say without plexiglass in front of them, flipsis. That is a super sprayer word, and it's uh, often translated tribulation or persecution or suffering, something along that line. And actually, yes, if you've ever felt sidelined, shut down for the right things, you actually did sign up for that if you began to follow Jesus and, and are depending on his spirit in your journey, you, you've, you did sign up. But the, the good news is, again, you're not alone. You're not alone. I, John, your brother and partner, we're, we're in this together, and there's no hierarchy here. John is their brother. Um, he may be the leader of the churches uh, in the area. He may be an apostle, but he says, you know, he doesn't pull the the rank. He just says, I'm, I'm your brother. And your partner. Um, we're together in this, participating in the mission of Jesus uh, that he has assigned us. And the compound word that, that is translated partner contains in it 
a word that has become kind of common parlance in, in a lot of Christian circles, koinonia. Ever heard that word before? Before Koinonia. I say that fast five times. Uh, koinonia. And, and it, it, it means fellowship, but it means more than fellowship in the sense of hanging out. It, it, it's really a hanging out and a moving out on purpose, on mission. Um, the way of Jesus uh, sayings that our denomination uh, um, has, the seventh one says, I uh, am um, participating in a community of followers of Jesus on mission to the world. That's, that's koinonia. Uh, and it's, it's more than tea and cookies, although we'll take the tea and cookies. Won't it be great when we can eat tea and cookies? Well, actually, coffee and cookies and so much more uh, when things uh, settle down. But he says, I'm, I'm your brother. I'm, I'm your partner. Um, we're in this together. Uh, and, and it's a costly fellowship. It's a costly fellowship. He says, I'm your partner and brother in the suffering. Um, <clears throat> real persecution that led to exile in John's case. Flipsis. Tribulation. And yet, at the same time, he says, I'm your partner in the suffering, yes, but also in the kingdom. Well, it doesn't seem like the kingdom sometimes, but... But um, remember when Paul um, was taken out and stoned uh, and left for dead um, and disciples gathered around him, probably prayed over him, and up he gets. And what does he do? No, that's enough. I've had enough of that. I'm going to find a safer job. No, he, he went off to continue his ministry, preached in Derby, and made many disciples. <laughs> You're going to get stoned again, buddy. Well, he didn't, but he did suffer much. And uh, his epistles tell us about his experience of that. Then it says, Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, places where they'd been, places where they had established um, outposts of believers, uh, fledgling churches. And it says they, they were busy strengthening the hearts of the disciples and urging them to remain in the faith. Why would they have to do that if it was all a bowl of cherries and all, um, you know, just, just glorious every day and happy, happy, happy. But, but it wasn't. They, they warned them that getting into God's kingdom would mean going through considerable suffering. Now, it's not an everyday thing, thank God, but, but it, it comes. And uh, much suffering as part of God's kingdom now, our experience of this uh, time of what some scholars say, the now and the not yet, the not yet being the full uh, revelation of the kingdom, well, yeah, suffering. And, and also patient endurance. You ever get tired of that? Like, seriously, you ever get tired of it? Uh, it can be exhausting, can't it? No. I think people in these days are feeling exhausted for a lot of reasons. It's, this is a time of, uh, of uh, unusual stress. And uh, people are on edge. Some are at odds. Some are fearful. Some are arrogant. Pushing back, always pushing back, refusing to listen, can't tell them what to do. See, truth is taking a hit these days in so many ways. But, but truth won't be denied. 
Truth will have its day in court, so to speak, and truth will, will prevail, and we, the people of truth, will prevail, but not without tribulation, not without patient endurance, but as we endure, kingdom, the first fruits, the down payment, which will be received in full when Jesus returns. But that's what they're going through now. Now, okay, so it can be exhausting, right? So, so it's in worship. It's in worship. Can you, can you imagine John sitting there exiled and like, I'm sure he had his days. But John was a worshiper. And he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Maybe John was in the Spirit, in, in a sense, worshiping in spirit and truth every day. But this was a little intensified, more intensified level of being in the Spirit. But it's, it's in worship that our minds and hearts are renewed in the truth and, and it's, it's where we are reminded that our true citizenship is the kingdom. It's, it's heaven. And sometimes truth himself comes out of nowhere and surprises us. You know, sometimes with a still small voice. That's what Elijah found out. It was a still small voice, not the whirlwind or the, the earthquake or the whatever else, meteor storm. <laughs> it was the still small voice, but, but not this time, not this time. He says, John says, I heard a loud voice behind me uh, like a trumpet. And the voice said, write down what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, uh, kind of in a geographical circle revelation would actually be a circular letter because these cities were arranged in the western area of what we call turkey send send this to these churches and and so it says i i turned to see the voice that was speaking to me as i turned i saw seven golden lampstands and in the middle of the lampstands one like a son of man, we've, we've met him before. We've met him before. That's what John saw. He's, he's, he, John would discover what is not always just readily apparent to us, that he's everywhere that we are. And one of the things that he's doing, if we would only have the eyes and the ears and the mindset to see, is that he, he redefines where here is. He re redefines where and what we are. Because we read that, um, and so here, here's John, oh, here, here he is in the midst of all this trouble, and, and, finding out is, and finding out that in the midst of the trouble and the hanging on, Jesus is where he was, he's where I am, he's where you are, redefining and redeeming the suffering and, the, and giving reason for the patient endurance and reminding us that this is our experience of his kingdom right now. But it is not an experience of this kingdom without him, because John now sees him. And as he turns, he says, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man. You see, Jesus is redefining the space we inhabit, the place we are, and, and everything that we are. Lampstand here is, is imagery associated with the temple. And the son of man 
standing amongst the lampstands. The Son of Man uh, either is about to or already has, depending on the dating of this book, rendered judgment on Jerusalem's temple in allowing it to be desecrated and destroyed by the military might of Rome. But Jesus had said, though, that he would destroy this temple and I'll raise up another one, a temple of my body, a temple ultimately made of living stones. Not just his resurrected body, but his body composed of living stones in which his kingdom priests now serve. And we are that temple. We are those priests declaring in word and deed the greatness of our God and, the, uh, and of his Christ, overcoming the darkness by the light of his life in us. And see, if we would only open our eyes and see that he redefines where we are, wherever that happens to be, whether together in a room like this, together in the community of saints, or sidelined and shut down in some kind of exile. He redefines where we are, what we are. And John now sees Jesus as he's never seen him before. And as he does, Jesus reveals more fully, perhaps, than he's ever done before with John who he is to us and for us. Well, actually, just who he is. And yes, he is for us, but I was thinking, put in mind this morning, as I came in here, of the day that Joshua, just prior to crossing the Jordan, was encountered by one who identified himself as the captain of the uh, armies of the Lord. I think that was the title he gave himself. I didn't go back and reread the passage, but just came to mind. And uh, are you on our side or their side? Neither, he said. Neither. I'm not on your side. You get on my side. Maybe that's kind of what, what uh, Joshua needed to understand. Jesus simply reveals who he is. And yes, he is for us and he loves us and he's redeemed us. But boy, oh boy, take this in. This is uh, uh, the now Jesus revealing who he truly is as the reigning priest upon his throne. We, we, uh, we read these words, his head and hair were white. Uh, white like wool, white like snow. And uh, the, the vision here pulls together uh, the language and images provided in a number of Old Testament passages, notably Daniel 7 and Daniel 10, a few other uh, associations in other passages, but uh, his head and hair were, were, were white, and uh, uh, this, this idea would evoke the idea of God upon his judgment throne. Uh, Daniel 7, the throne was set up, and the Ancient One took his throne, his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. And uh, there is that association of this God who, um, who is every bit capable and qualified to judge. His head and hair were white. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like exquisite brass refined in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of of many waters. These images would bring to mind Daniel's vision of the man bringing a message of judgment upon the enemies of God and his people. In Daniel 10, Daniel has this powerful uh, vision and uh, 
He saw a man uh, clothed in linen with a belt of gold around his waist, his body like burl, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sounds of his words like the roar of a multitude. And uh, poor Daniel fell at his Fell, fell, I believe, face down. It was overwhelming. Overwhelming. It says he, back to Jesus, was holding seven stars in his right hand. And, and a sharp two-edged sword was coming out of his mouth. This may be a, a reference to the Word of God, which Hebrews states, is like a double-edged sword, able to pierce right through uh, to the very heart and core of who we are. Uh, nothing is hidden from Him, the one with whom we have to do. But There's also an image from Isaiah, uh, this shoot coming out of the stump of Jesse, uh, the Spirit of the Lord resting on him, uh, the spirit of knowledge and un- wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see or decide what, by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor. Decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Now, I know that doesn't say sword, but it's again something proceeding out of his mouth. And it's in the connection with Uh, bringing judgment, bringing vindication for those that the wicked of the earth have have oppressed. And uh, with the breath of his lips, he will kill the wicked. Pretty powerful image. And here we have this, this vision of Jesus with all of these things going on. The sight of him, it says, was like the sun when it shines with full power. Imagine. Imagine. And then, Well, same thing happened to Daniel, as I said. A revelation so powerful and all at once. I mean, John didn't have time to, oh, would would you just stand, take that pose? Oh, no, don't move. I have to write down all these features. Um, No, this this was all at once. And so, so very powerful. And, of course, this is only an artist's rendition. There's no way to fully capture it what John would have seen. He didn't have time for analysis. It simply says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. So would you have. So would I have. This is the majesty of Jesus our Lord. Undisputed ruler of the kings of the earth. Undisputed Lord. And, and so what John saw in a flash of holy light was the reality that the one in, the, in charge was near. And he'd come near. I believe the images in in this description uh, point to the reality that he had not just come near um, for... um, Well, he'd come near for judgment. He'd come near for judgment. John is completely overcome. He won't be left for dead, which I'm sure was good because... What, what Jesus then does is he revived him and he revives us for fearless and faithful mission. When I saw him, I, I fell at his feet as though I was dead and he touched me with his right hand. Read Daniel 10, you'll find a similar 
a set of circumstances and a, and a further commissioning of Daniel. And we have the same thing taking place here um, to the nth degree. Uh, what, what Daniel saw was a powerful angel. What John sees is the Lord himself. He says, he touched me with his right hand. The first thing out of his mouth is, don't be afraid. <laughs> no kidding, eh? No kidding. Don't be afraid. You know, how could I not be? How could I not be? And yet Jesus says, don't be afraid. Um, I'm the first and the last. The living one. I was dead and look, I'm alive forevermore. I actually, fear me. And you've got nothing to fear. You know, pretty, pretty clear that, that, John, you fear the Lord. And uh, so I can say to you, John, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm alive. I was dead. Look, alive forevermore. And, and furthermore, I, I, I have the keys. I got the keys. I was talking to Percy this morning. He gets the keys now. He can drive without anybody in the car, Mom. He has the keys. Boy, you guys must trust him, and he must be worthy of that trust. But the keys that you have, my friend, are nothing compared to the keys of death and Hades. But not death, nor Hades, nor any man can, can give you fear once you've seen the Son of Man and fallen at his feet. And John, I've worked for you, buddy. I've worked for you. You thought you were sidelined. You thought you were shut down. And, and, uh, but not as long as I live and reign. John, I want you to write. I want you to write. Write now what you see. Both the things that already are and also the things that are going to happen afterwards. John was told to write. Anybody here feel like writing another book of the Bible? No, you don't. And don't you dare even try. Uh, that could bring uh, serious problems. But what is your calling? What is your specific, unique and calling that just fits you like a glove? Which, although it may bring you some trouble, requiring patient endurance actually confirms your place as one of his kingdom priests called to serve him, called to, with word and deed, make known and make clear the excellence of uh, his glory, his word, his way. He's worked for you. He's got work for you. He's where you are, everywhere you are, <laughs> redefining where and what you are, revealing who he is more fully, reviving you for faithful and fearless mission as he holds you, as he holds us in his right hand, an expression of, uh, I don't know, for lefties, I'm, I'm sorry, guys, but, but God talks about his mighty right, right hand. I'm sure his left is very mighty too. I wouldn't want to uh, you know, have to deal with this left hand either if, if I was contrary. Now, hear this. It's profoundly true that Jesus, who is everywhere we are, holds us in a lot of senses. For example, in the sense of what Isaiah 41 says, don't fear. Little Israel, you, you think I've abandoned you. You think I don't pay any attention. No, don't fear. I'm with you. 
Don't be afraid. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. I've got you. I've got you. So we don't need to fear. Um, John 10 talks about him holding us as his sheep, caring for us, protecting us. My, my sheep hear my voice. They, I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. What the fa- my Father has given me is greater than all else and no one can snatch it out of my Father's hand. He's, he, he holds us as a sheep. He's caring for us. He's protecting us. But that doesn't exhaust the meaning that I think is coming through in Revelation 1 when I say that he's holding us. The secret meaning or the mystery of the seven stars which you saw. Kind of nice when, when we're given some of the precise meaning of some of the symbols and images in this book. That's a good thing. The secret meaning of the stars you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the churches themselves. Now, um, I'm going to suggest that the holding here is not just care, protection, the awareness that we need not fear. That's all true. But he also holds us to account. He holds us to account in his powerful right hand. And this, this becomes clear as the specific letters to the churches are read. There is this holding of tender care and protection, but there is also the matter of faithfulness to our calling. And the mission for which an accounting will be had, will be required. See, he comes in this vision with the bearing of high priest and king and judge of all, including his very own. Now, Peter would, uh, would say this to the people who were beginning to experience fiery trials, needing to be assured that, hey, the end of all things is near, so be vigilant, be wise, keep your head, uh, don't panic, and, and just, just be faithful to your calling when you suffer. Uh, do so uh, with a manner that causes people to ask the reason for the hope that's in you and do it gently with respect. Um, you know, we've thrown everything we've got at you and you're still standing and you're still, you're still loving, you're still kind. What in the world do you know that we don't know? It's more of a who, isn't it, than a what. But Peter would go on to say to these very people, he says, look, it's, it's time, the time has come for judgment to begin with the household of God. Hmm, judgment. And if it begins with us, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Actually, God's judgment is not just something to be feared, to be shunned, to, be, to run away from. In the Psalms, the idea that God was coming to judge uh, was seen as a good thing. It was seen as a, a good thing because God was going to reveal the true state of affairs and vindicate His, his people. And, and He intends that. 
But, uh, but bear, bear this in mind, as he cleansed the temple in Jerusalem, he will cleanse and he will purify the temple of his church. And the letters that follow in chapters 2 and 3 uh, bear that out uh, considerably. He holds in his hand, it says, the angels of the, the churches. Now, uh, is, is this a reference to actual angelic beings assigned to be God's messengers to the churches? There are people who hold that and make that, that case and do so convincingly and powerfully. Uh, but, but angel, or the Greek word angelos, sounds a lot like angel, um, can also refer, refer to human messengers, and leaders and shepherds and elders. So is it talking about those who are giving leadership on be, and, and that they are being addressed uh, with a view to um, communicating this word to the various churches? Or some have held that uh, this idea has to do more with just a reference to the prevailing spirit, the prevailing mindset, the, the way things are. Uh, in these various churches that will be addressed. I, either way, either way. And I, I suspect that that is the weakest uh, link right there, but either way, it's clear that he holds his churches through their angels, which is comforting and terrifying because, again, good news, he's where we are. He's where you are at home today. He's where you are, wherever you are. Redefining, redefining that space that you inhabit. Revealing to you, if you would take to heart these words, who he is. He wants to revive you for fearless and faithful mission. But uh, bear this in mind, as he holds us all to account in his powerful right hand. Are, are, are you aware of his presence here today? redefining what we are as he reveals who he is, which should cause us to at least in our hearts fall on our faces before him. Are you perhaps sensing a voice speaking to you uh, with a renewed call to you to persevere, to serve, and to keep on going profoundly aware that, that he will call all of us for account for how we have served and loved and been in this world as his uh, ambassadors. Uh, he, he will call us to account for the kind of messengers that we are and the kind of temple, as it were, that we are. And maybe you're exhausted by all the commotion and the division and the tribulation and the ongoing need for yet more patient endurance. But remember this. Remarkably. This is remarkably but really your experience of kingdom life in the present. How could this be? Simple. He's where you are and he's holding you. Now, what do you need to hear him say to you today? Or perhaps, what do you need to say to him? Thanks for listening. We invite you to follow Jesus with us and join us on mission with him. We'd love for you to connect with us through our website, worship at aemc.com, or on Facebook. Just search for Aylmer EMC.